0: bismillahirrahmanirrahim assalamu alaikum welcome back to the struggle to know uh, where we will continue our conversation uh, here in the city of cleveland Uh, actually we're in east cleveland and uh, we're going to be talking to some brothers uh, who have a lot to contribute i think to uh, this series of conversations so uh, my name is tristan and we'll kind of go around and let everybody introduce themselves
1: yes alhamdulillah Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala Musa with you, alhamdulillah, we're honored today to be spending some time with the Abdul Samad family We have our dear Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Samad who became Muslim in his late teens alhamdulillah and then would find a sister who would also embrace Islam and they would get married and start a family they have seven children and 28 grandchildren, if I understand correctly. Yes. And we have three generations of Islam sitting with us at this table. So, Abdul uh, Sheikh Mohammed's son, Karim and his grandson, Asim, Shakur Dubai, or du- Duval. Duval, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Right, so, we should have some interesting perspective, as Tristan mentioned. This is the struggle to know. We're here to try to understand um, race relations within the Muslim community. Particularly here in Cleveland, but even beyond Cleveland because there's going to be overlap of course So to be able to get this type of insight um, I I pray and I hope will be um, a source of benefit for all of us here and all those who listen So Sheikh Mohammed, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your experiences um, being here born and raised in Cleveland embracing Islam and um, uh, Whatever you think might just help us understand a little bit about your journey and how that became, mashallah, a whole you know, generations of Islam inshallah till the day of judgment. Alhamdulillah.
2: As-salamu um, al I don't know if I can say it all in the time that we have, but I'll try to compress it into as much time as we possibly can. As uh, Sheikh Musa said, my name is Muhammad Abdul sammah I'm alhamdulillah. I'm 68 years old. I uh, embraced Islam when I was 17 years old. Uh, it's in 1969. Um, a little bit about myself and my family and the climate of the American society when I grew up. Um, but first, let me tell you a little bit about my childhood. Uh, I was born and raised a Christian in the Catholic tradition As a matter of fact, uh, I was uh, very serious about uh, Catholicism as a child through my parents, through my grandparents. I served as an altar boy. Uh, At one point I can actually remember wanting to be a priest in the Catholic religion because I just admired the, the humility and the impact that the priesthood had on people and the respect that priests had on the uh, Catholic uh, uh, congregation, uh, I can remember actually holding the the plate under people's chins, as the priest would pull out a little wafer and they would stick out their tongues and he would say "St. the body of Christ," and he would put this wafer in their mouth, and I would see them swallow it. And I remember every time he said that and I saw them swallowing it. I really believed that that was the body of Christ. And I can remember feeling this nausea that was coming from me every time they said it and they swallowed it, hungrily. And I never thought too much about it, but now when I think back, I know where that came from. Moving forward, uh, I went to Catholic school and at about the age of about 13 I began to have stirrings of the whole catholic thing and it dawned upon me one time when I was kneeling after confession and I was praying to the statue of the Virgin Mary peace be upon her and I was asking her to speak to God and ask God to forgive me for my sins And I remember thinking even at a young age then, this is a statue, it doesn't make sense. I kept these feelings inside of me. I never shared them with anyone because I felt that I would get in trouble. We would have to go to catechism class. Every Wednesday It was mandatory after school. And as I I began to have these these sensations of doubt and fear that was boiling inside of me, I made it up in my mind that I was going to ask a question in that catechism class. And so the nun and any of you who have ever had the experience of being raised in a Catholic school, they ruled with the stick. And I remember how she walked around with this long pointer with the rubber tip on it. And she would be talking and walking with the stick. And she ended the session, I can't remember what she was talking about, but I do remember this. When she asked, does anybody have any questions? I stopped for a second, then I raised my hand. And she's standing up there and she says, well, what do you have? What what's question do you have? And she's and I lowered my eyes because I knew what this would bring. And she said, speak up. I couldn't even look at it. I looked down at my desk and I said, Sister Patrick Marie. God is all powerful, right? Yes. There's nothing that is equal to him, right? Yes. What's your point? Get to your point. Then why do we need two other gods? Allahu Akbar. 13 years old. Allahu Akbar. I still remember seeing her. You know how they used to wear the long habits with the long veil coming? It was kind of like blowing down the owl as she's coming towards me. (laughs) I braced myself for the stick. Because I knew I was going to get whacked. But instead of whacking it, she dropped the stick and she grabbed me by my cheeks. And pulled my cheeks to her face. And pointed her finger at me. Don't you ever question the Trinity. It is a mystery. And you have to believe it do you understand? And I said, no, no. At that point, I became an apostate in Christianity. As a matter of fact, I got to the point where I was almost atheist at that young age where I didn't even want to believe in God. I used to play a game, a sick game with my kids, but my, not my kids, my sisters and brothers. And I would, you know, our kids play these games when their parents aren't around and I would say, I bet you in 10 seconds, I'm not gonna die. That's how low I had gotten in my faith. And one time I said that, it struck my heart. Ajib. And I left the room and I went upstairs to my bedroom and I just felt this fear. I didn't know what it was. I never played that game again. (laughs) 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 Sheikh Mohammed, I want to to ask
1: you this question because I'm interested to know what type of factor this played in your decision. Um, What was the kind of makeup of the the background and the race of the nuns of the school that you went to Were they predominantly white?
2: They were all white.
1: The statue was white.
2: The statue was white. Yeah Mary was white. Jesus was white. Joseph right. was white. Right. All of the statues that they lined up for the uh, Around the church for the stations of the cross all of them were white.
1: Now at that time How did that factor into just your your thinking and or was that something maybe you look back on later?
2: Yeah, it didn't factor. I just thought that that's just the way things were at that, right. at that age.
1: Right.
2: Okay, but something began to happen between the time that I was 13 and between the time that I was 17 in America. And that was the civil rights. And My parents became actively involved in fighting against racism and hatred from white America. And they began to involve themselves with many organizations for the freedom. Okay. And the non-discrimination of African-Americans. And I remember when Martin Luther King came to Cleveland, we actually marched with him to the stadium downtown. And we sung the songs and thousands and thousands of people marching for freedom and justice. And so that was my springboard into being involved in civil rights in America. Now me being 14, 15 years old.
1: So you weren't Muslim yet? I wasn't Muslim yet.
2: I became involved in a little bit more militant aspect of the civil rights movement, shall I say. A Little bit more. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I enjoyed uh, uh, the company of many my friends who had joined the Black Panthers who had been involved in the uh, Back to Africa movement and the the nationalism of black black nationalism, black pride, and I began to immerse myself in that culture. And that was when I was about 15, 16 years old, grew a big Afro, you wouldn't believe it now.
3: love
2: to see some photos <laughs> yeah had a my nice father
4: afro. he uh, he had a he had hair until he made hodge and ever since he got back from hodge he hasn't had any hair
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and i began to surround
2: myself with people that were involved in, in 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 black nationalism and in black panthers i joined it and began involved in that and my parents started looking at me very strange and at one point in time uh my father and I, we got involved in some arguments and uh, I left home because of that.
1: How old were you at that time?
2: I was 16 years old. And began to get involved in the black nationalist movement and, and all that and being involved in some of the rebellions that were going on in the in the in, in, in the in the ghettos of America. And one day I was at a barbershop. Get my frill touched up. <laughs> and these brothers walked in. They had this presence about them. I didn't know what it was, but I was awestruck. They had a light. And I remember to this day, Check Mutawa, oh, well. Abdul Shahid, Brother Yakya Abdul Sabur, and Brother Abdul Rahim Abdullah. And they walked in that barbershop and I looked at them, and my head froze. And I wanted to soak in every word that they were saying. I didn't know what they were talking about. But I looked at them and I said, I gotta, find out who these people are Mm -hmm. but they were older at my age I was I was afraid to even approach them because they were like nobody ever seen anything I mean people were involved in black nationalism but I could tell these were not black nationalists Mm -hmm. and I used to see them occasionally walking past because one of the brothers stayed on my street and they would always walk through together I'm sure everybody knows these brothers. and one day I Came off my porch and I talked to uh, Mutav Abdul Shahid. he had a ball here. He had just I found out now that he had just made hajj And I went up to him and I said salam brother and that was kind of like a ubiquitous term that every black person used to say. "Salam, brother. Hmm. And he said, it's not just salam, it's Asalaamu Alaikum. Masha'Allah. And I said, huh? He said, we're not black national, we're Muslim.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And I thought he was talking about the nation of Islam. I said, oh, you mean Elijah Muhammad? He said, no, none of that crap. we talking real Islam. Allah, Allah, He said, you need to rap with us one day. And they walked away. Again, I'm standing there with My my jaw just dropped open, watching them walk away. From that point on, you know we know how the story ends. Yeah. What's <laughs> up? I'm standing here today. This is like 1970? it was 1970. Wow. So I became Muslim in May of 1970.
0: Wow, mashallah. And.
1: So, Shaykh, there's, because again, I think this is all very fascinating and I want to mm-hmm. hear your perspective, your son, your grandson. What were your expectations when you went into the dean? Coming from like a black nationalist mm-hmm. perspective? Yes. Kind of denouncing what Catholicism and Christianity was about. Mm-hmm. When you now find this particular lifestyle, what were your expectations going into the deen? How did you experience it in those early days? And how did that kind of like maybe transform or meet up to those expectations as you got older in the deen?
2: The expectations when I became Muslim was resounding this La ilaha illallah. That was it. And when I learned what that meant, my heart just filled up. Because I knew that that was something that I was looking for, mm. and something just that I was, know what it was. thirsty Shatana for. Allah.
1: Right,
2: right. Tawheed. Mm-hmm. And the Tawheed was just something that I just loved to say over and over, la ilaha illallah, la illallah. And Allah. it quenched the thirst in my soul. Masha Masha so you can imagine now, I've gone from Catholic, Catholicism, to atheism, to mockery of Allah, to civil rights, to black nationalism, to Islam, within a span of three years. Mashallah. Imagine my parents <laughs> seeing me go through this. They wow. thought I had lost my mind. <laughs> Especially when I start coming home with a prayer rug and reading some Quran with some Arabic, trying to, you know, say Arabic prayers. But back then we didn't know we didn't know Arabic. We had transliteration. And so they thought it was better to get me out of Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Or Lockheed. So I had an aunt in Cincinnati. May Allah bless her. She was an aunt that always took everybody that, that from the family that kind of needed to get away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they sent me to Cincinnati. And I took my prayer rug and I got on the Greyhound bus and I went to Cincinnati. And I moved to Cincinnati and began to work at the Call and Post newspaper. By uh, Well, that's a whole nother story, but... Uh, got a job working at the call post newspaper in Cincinnati and was delivering the newspapers, the African-American newspaper down there. My uh, aunt's husband was the editor of the call and post newspaper. He taught me a lot about journalism and all that. But the most important thing was the street that I moved on right next door was the family that had, uh, a, a very nice family that moved next to that, that we moved next to. and there were uh, five girls and one boy. and uh, I took a certain uh, interest in one of the uh, the girls next door and uh, fifty years later, she's my wife long work from a lot. Love of my life. Allah akbar. Oh, and
1: this is you're you're about 18 years old at this time now.
2: Yes, by that time I'm 18 going you're on. You're Muslim,
1: 19. and you're in Cincinnati. I'm in
2: Cincinnati, Ohio. And you you meet your future wife to be. I meet my future wife to be.
1: Now, when you were there in Cincinnati, you're a Muslim. Did you have any exposure to Muslims out there? None. So not at first. Okay.
2: I was kind of alone. I didn't you know I didn't know that there was a uh, there was no mosque there at the time. But the University of Cincinnati had a, a uh, uh, MSA, and they had a place on campus where the Muslims would go. But they were mostly uh, immigrant Muslims, okay And uh, you know, I would visit there sometime and study and, and, and read books. But when I went, met my f- future wife, it was interesting. Uh, I don't want to take up too much time. am I? No, no, no. okay. Um, yeah, yeah. It was interesting because it, 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 she, she knew that I was Muslim. Everybody, who's this, who's this big, this, this guy with this big afro coming from Cleveland? And, you know, everybody wanted to know who I was and what I was about. And uh, I don't know how she found out that I was Muslim. But one day she came to me and she said that you're Muslim, right? And I said, yes. And she told me about this paper that she's working on. She says, well, I'm working on this paper, this, this, uh, this paper for, for high school. And uh, I said, what's it about? She said, it's uh, the nation of Islam versus Orthodox Islam. And I am like, what? And she's standing there. And I'm like, my mind is blown. i come all the way down here, move next door. And you come to me talking about, you got working on a paper about, you know, orthodox Islam versus the nation of Islam, and you writing a paper on it?
3: Hmm.
2: I'm like, what, (laughs) you know? I said, well, where'd you learn about Islam? She said, well, I study all kinds of religions, but this is, you know, I thought this was something that I wanted to write about, something to that effect.
5: For for any of our young men listeners, if a young woman comes to you and uh, says she's writing a paper about Islam, It's time for you to stand up straight and choose your next words very carefully. (laughs) (laughs) If you do, like Sheikh Abdul Samad, this might be a happy ending. Inshallah. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So she showed me the paper, and it was a comparison, and it was excellent. Mashallah. The research that she had done on it, pros and verses the cons, was excellent. I was hard tasked to find anything to criticize the paper about. And she was not even Muslim. So that kind of fixed in my head (laughs) which one of the five... Young ladies next door. I was going to try to talk to. <laughs>
1: As one of them unintended mercies, yes. where you kind of get kicked out of the house <laughs> yeah. and forced yes. to leave your hometown, Yes and you meet your wife. Yes That's kind of like say the
5: Musa al Islam. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. All right. Masala. No doubt.
1: Alhamdulillah.
5: So, so Sheikh Abdul Samad, if I could, if I could maybe telescope the conversation a yes, little bit. Yes, please. From our elders, uh, what we hear is that the Islam, like through the 70s and 80s, maybe even into the mid 90s. Um, Cleveland was a very important part of the life of Islam in America. Absolutely. And, and Cleveland, the, the, that life was carried predominantly by our African-American brothers and sisters. Correct. So is there something maybe about that era that you wanted to describe? Like if there are people, kids who just grew up, you know, like whatever, mm-hmm. playing, playing uh, video games and yeah. Instagram, Snapchat, mm-hmm. and they don't know about that time, but you want them to know, like, what was that like? that that existed and what it what it was like and what were the good things about that time? Like, what would you want to share with them?
2: Yes. Um, 1971 is the time that you're talking about in my life, when Cleveland was one of the major cities of Islam in America, um, especially for Sunni Muslims and those who are reverting back to Islam which is the reason why I left Cincinnati because I wanted to come back to Cleveland to be part of this movement of Islam in Cleveland. Um, Cincinnati was nice, beautiful city. There was no Muslim community there for me. I left Cleveland, I left an Islamic community in Cleveland okay sort of against my will okay but I migrated back for the express purposes of raising my family. Okay, by that time I had gotten married and decided that it was time to move back to Cleveland because I wanted to raise, we wanted to raise our children in Islamic, within Islamic community.
0: If I may uh, mm-hmm. ask, what was the
2: African American community like in Cincinnati at that time? Non-existent to my knowledge. Yeah. It was mostly predominant, it was predominantly a nation of Islam.
1: Mm. And Sheikh, when you say there was already a Muslim, established Muslim community in Cleveland, yes. What did that Muslim community look like? Were African Americans, right? One hundred
2: ninety-nine point nine percent African American. Subhanallah. Wasn't okay. The first Cleveland mosque, the first uh, mosque? First Cleveland right. mosque and then there was Masjid Al Mukman. Uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. were the predominant uh, Muslim, true Muslim communities in Cleveland. Uh-huh. And as we know, the first Cleveland Mosque is the second oldest mosque in the United States. Right, It's been here since 1936.
1: And when I spoke to him at my best, he says arguably it could be the first. It just depends on like when you officially count it in the paper. But yeah, 1936, 37, right?
2: Yeah, it's about a year apart. The oldest one is in Iowa, Iowa, I believe. Wow. And then you had (laughs) uh, I I know know. I would love to know (laughs) the story behind that. (laughs) Know that yes. (laughs) But um, yeah, the. the, uh, uh, First Cleveland Mods were older brothers. When I say older, when I was young, older meant 40 years old. Now that I'm 68, it ain't older no more. <laughs> but there were older brothers. The brothers were 40, 50 years old. Uh, masjid Mukman was a masjid that was changing from an elder African American uh, leadership to a very young, vibrant, energetic uh, leadership, which was led by. Sheikh uh, uh, Mutaufa Abdul Shahid, and he was young, vibrant, and he was a vanguard in the Islamic community and still is for Mashallah. many years. Mashallah. One of my, one of the first mentors of my life in Islam. He gave me my shahada.
1: I want to come back to that, inshallah, mm-hmm. Especially of how the community kind of. Um, Developed and involved with the passing of the time, Mm -hmm. but um, I also want to get some perspective from your son Kareem, grandson. Yes. One one other
2: point. So when we came back to Cleveland, we were the only people that were recognizably true Muslims. Okay, not only by our voice, but we adapted the dress of the Sunnah. Our sisters wore hijab. Okay. Okay, unapologetically they wore it. And they were out front with us establishing and people would, what is this? You all are real Muslims. you're you're supposed to be with the nation of Islam, no. We had to give dawah and teach people what real Islam was. We were the first mosque to really establish five salats a day in the city of Cleveland, okay? And from that mosque, many, 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 many young uh, brothers and sisters went on and excelled in islamic studies and islamic academics uh sheikh Islam Bagbi was part of that community and we grew up together and uh we became muslim around the same time That's right. That's right. a very vibrant community
5: Mashal you you bring up a good point i mean i think a lot of times as a kind of a modernist philosophical tendency we tend to reduce islam to just the 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 fiqh, the like, legal aspects. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, yes, it's true. Um, a person uh, lives in America. It's completely lawful for them to wear pants and a shirt as long as their nakedness is covered and this, that, and the other thing, you know? But Islam is so much more than just the law. In our last podcast, uh, we talked about one of the problems that hurts me the most is the aspirations of certain segments of our Muslim community, which is what? Is that they see in the oppressor themselves. Mm-hmm. They look instead of looking at the Banu Israel and Musa salam, they look at Fir'aun and say, "We can, we see ourselves in them. We want to be part of that. We want to be like them." Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I, I appreciated, especially from our African American elders in this in this in this country, from that era, that uh, they were the ones growing up spoon-fed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, fake, mm-hmm. fake uh, man God, mm-hmm. and. They just—they're like, no, we don't—we don't want our slave name. We don't want our—we don't want to dress like, uh, uh, you know, the dress that that, right. that 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 we were given. We don't want to worship them as God. We're done with this, you mm-hmm. know. And I think it's really beautiful what you were saying. That unfortunately there are many people in our Muslim community of all colors and all backgrounds, and the the the, the outward form of the people may be different, but the sickness is the same inside the heart. That they see, they see the archetype of uh, of the oppressor. And they say, if I just hustle a little bit, if I get enough grades, if I can get enough money, if I can move into the right neighborhood, I can be one of them. Mm-hmm. And like the teachings of Nabua I mean, I'm not saying those people are not Muslims or even questioning their sincerity. Oftentimes these are very deep seated uh, psychological conditions that people have. But if you look at the pure teachings of Nabu'ah, hell no, we don't want to be part of them. We want to have, we want to have a 1000 miles between us and them in this world and like 10 times that much on the day of judgment we're not we're, we're not part of them if somebody wants to you know take this path with us then, then welcome because this one is re- leading to a good place and that one isn't so mm-hmm. i thought that was you know something really beautiful you mentioned maybe inshallah like later on when we hear from your uh, son for your grandson inshallah mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about why why does it seem like in all of the all of the muslim communities including wallahu a'lam, as a, as an observer even in the african american community this spirit seems to have kind of weakened or dimmed or dulled mm-hmm. down like why is
1: that
2: good good point good point
1: yes <laughs> so again, as I was saying, right? That um, like when I see the yourself, uh, you might not know this, but I, I, I Mashallah, Tabarakallah, I admire you a lot, and a lot of the elders in our community who came into the dean because I'm looking ahead, 50 years from now, 40 years from now, I'm not, I'm 20 years from now, right? Of what my kids will be like, and what my grandkids will be like. So we have a very different mentality because we came into the deen. So we have different expectations. Mm -hmm. So I became Muslim when I was 19. I had very similar experiences from what you're speaking about. Not exactly the same, but there are some parallels. Mm -hmm. And then now I have my kids who are being born and raised in Islam. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping and praying like they see the beauty of it in the same way that we were able to see the beauty of it and embrace it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we could deal with things maybe that aren't a part of Islam even from the Muslim community and it's not going to bother us because that's not where we came in but people who maybe are born and raised as a Muslim and are being told like what Islam is supposed to be like if they're not seeing it and if there's some inconsistency with what they're being told and what they're witnessing in the community that might be a problem because they didn't necessarily choose it Mm -hmm. but they're being taught what it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. So then that kind of leads me to be quite interested in like Austin's perspective, Absolutely. Kareem's perspective, mm-hmm. being now born and raised as a Muslim, where maybe it started off predominantly where it's a majority African-American community, but now you got the immigrant community coming in. And then there's a lot more interaction between different, you know, and, and you think we're Muslim and it doesn't matter where you're from. Mm-hmm. But was that reciprocated? I mean, I'm interested to know.
4: Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Not this whole conversation, obviously, is very tough. But um, growing up in the um, Masjid al-Muqman, it was special. Um, the, the brothers that I grew up with, uh, to this day, even if I don't see them, um, I could see them and I could call them for anything. And I haven't seen them in years. Uh, I could do it. I could do it and they could do the same with me and that's the Muslim Brotherhood that, that, that we were taught by these elders that we're speaking of. Um, but we were also in Cleveland, and Cleveland is separated by a river. <laughs> this river is the east side and the west side, and on the east side you've got um, a lower quote unquote socioeconomic state, than on the west side, lower socioeconomic state, the whites and the blacks for the most part. We're not talking suburbs, we're talking Cleveland proper, right? Um, so in our in our own bubble, as an African-American masjid, to grow up that way was special. And then as we grow, and you mentioned growing up as a Muslim and being taught it as opposed to choosing it, right? As you grow, you begin to, as any team does, question am I being taught what I ultimately want to think and all those sorts of things and it's easier to to leave it when you're when you're when you don't choose it right but when you're around so many people that uh, were taught the same way and what, what we know is the right way we were taught Sunni Islam we weren't taught any other offshoot of this and that or 5% this and we were taught true Islam the best way that we that they were They knew how to teach it to us and then from there we We were able to say look there is no other way Whenever whenever you don't choose Islam and you go out and research and you do your own research If you come back to it and say there's another way you're lying to yourself Because there is there's an answer for every question in Islam there is there's an answer to the problems of racism in this country. There's a there's an answer to the problems of racism in the Muslim community. It's all in Islam. So growing up, I'm all, I'm very analytical. I get that from my mother, where I have to for me it's got to make sense for me and it takes it takes me a while. And you mentioned the pros and cons for the paper, I'm the same kind of way. I need to have it here and here and look at it and then there's opinion there. I remember doing that when I was 14, 15, 16 years old about Islam and did I want to did I want to be a Muslim? You know, and then I thought about it and do my own things and realized that my mother and father and the community in which they raised us in that was my blessing. Right? It was oh, my oh, blessing oh. to be raised in such a vibrant African American Muslim community. Right? And all I try to do now is give my children the same blessing through the grace and mercy of Allah, inshallah. So it's, it's, uh, I, it's funny because you hear the, I've heard some of these stories from my father, but I remember back when I was 15, 16, 17, I asked him, "Why did you become Muslim? What was it about it? This was me in my own questioning period in your life when you go through, what made you become Muslim? Why did you do it? What were you thinking? And I've heard these stories, and I haven't heard them in years, and you hear it again and it brings it back to me like that's why. right? For me, I never grew up understand being faced with choosing the Trinity. To me, there's always been one God. There's always been la ilaha illallah, right? So my, my questions about Islam weren't about that. They were about why are we somewhere where there aren't as many Muslims? If it's this real, why are, if this is it, why isn't everybody a Muslim, right? And then you begin to realize you start talking about the problems of America and how it was built on this and this and it becomes a question of how can we make America better with Islam so that's interesting. So, so then when
1: you were being raised, Alhamdulillah, you had a vibrant African-American community now as you got older the community started getting a little more colorful right, right? a little more diverse, The immigrant community started coming in other masajid were being built, what was your interaction with Muslims that weren't African-American?
4: it is interesting it existed Um, I remember doing some thinking about this a while back and this is going to sound harsh (laughs) but a lot of immigrant Muslims in the because I'm 46 so we're talking 80s, 90s right so a lot of these Muslims come to America coattailing on the on the struggles that the african-americans laid out but when they come over they may identify as white so then they come to america and assimilate with the white community as i hate to say this but as a closet muslim right so they walk down the street looking sounding acting like a white man So they reap the benefits of the socio-economic status of a white man or a white woman. So they've essentially, for, for a time, I won't say forgotten, but ignored those who laid the path for them to come and choose Islam, choose a place where they can worship their Islam the right way. Because a lot of immigrants come from places where you can't worship Islam the right way. Right? You know what I mean? So they come here, America, for all of its problems, and we know what they are, you can come here and worship Islam, and you won't have to deal with a tyrannical this, tyrannical that. You can come here and you can worship your Islam. But when a lot of immigrants now come here, came here, the road that was laid by the pioneers in the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 30s was ignored the masjids that were started were not supported. New masjids popped up where the immigrants would separate themselves from the African-American community. So I, I don't know that there was there was genuine, I wouldn't say animosity, but there was tension between the African-American community and the, the immigrant communities, right? And I remember when I was mid-teens, late-teens, early-twenties, we started having community aid prayers at parks and things like that. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And you begin to see, you get to meet uh, different people of different faiths. And I remember I studied, not different faiths, but different uh, different ethnicities. And I remember I studied um, Malcolm X, El hajj Malik Al-Shabazz. I read that book cover True. to cover like five times. And I remember when he made Hajj, and he encountered white Muslims or Muslims of a different color than he, and they were his brothers. We didn't feel that here. It was different here because America was built on this idea that if you are a person of color, you, had to, you, you, were, you were expected to accept your station as somewhat inferior. Now, I was raised never to do that, never to do that, but it was almost expected that you had to if you weren't going to do that, you had to fight a little more. So it was very interesting and I think only until I'd say the late 80s, early 90s, maybe it became, maybe my late 80s, early 90s, it became more where you could, it felt more comfortable around a, a Muslim immigrant community. I,
5: I You know, I want to like, uh, this is good and I want to interject also because I know we have a diverse audience of listeners, right? It's beautiful how we heard from Baha'i Abdul samad about his uh, uh, accepting of islam and the road to it and in it there's the echo of even the stories of the sahaba radiallahu the pure and undiluted intellect of a young of a of a child you know who sees the irrationality of Kufr and leaves it with sincerity and how the help of Allah came down. And this is every nation of the earth that entered into Islam, including Quraysh itself. Sayyidina Ali accepted Islam as a child and stood in front of the elders of Banu Hashim and said, La ilaha illallah when none of them would. It's reminiscent of all of that. Now that, mashallah, uh, you have mentioned this part of your story, there are going to be people who are starting to feel uncomfortable. And the point of this podcast and this conversation is what? Remember, we're all coming from the same place, and we're coming to the same table. And the point of raising raising this is not in order to start to uh, put you know lighter fluid on a situation and light it on fire, so that me and Sheikh Musa can build our you know Tristan can build his like podcaster empire. There are people like that, by the way. Unfortunately, in our community as well. That is not my well. intent, and <laughs> that's not your are No, that's what, that's one That's why we're we talking to you. You know. You know, we're not we're not like you know, the guy with a bow tie. And I don't want to put out the fire; I want to watch it burn. No, the whole point of Islam is that nothing should burn inshallah. There's the hum of the Prophet that, that nothing should burn. Even his enemies shouldn't burn. Sallallahu wa sallam. But people are gonna start feeling uncomfortable now because like, well, we came from suffering too. We came suffering like we always. We like to remind everybody: it's not Olympics that the the gold medal winner. And if you're not on the podium, you go home a loser or whatever. These are brothers, Masha, they sympathize with the plight of our brothers and sisters who came from other countries where they're oppressed. Can we also then see our Islam and theirs as immigrants? and sympathize with their plight as well. Like, like, you know, a classroom, a kindergarten classroom, like, you know, 30 kids, 29 of them had breakfast, one of them didn't, he's hungry, everybody thinks that like everyone's full, but they don't know the hunger of that brother. Listen to them about, you know, listen to them and see what, what is it that they're feeling so that we can rectify it because the problems we face as an ummah are big. We're not going to be able to face them down if we're, 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 we're broken and divided. Uh, And if we do lip service, unity, it means Mm -hmm. nothing if we're not united in the hearts.
2: And for that, we have to sit and uncomfortably listen and hear these stories. May I just add one one point? Uh, When the immigration of Muslims from Arabia, the Middle East, Asia, happened back in the middle 60s, 70s, most of the immigrants that came here came from colonized countries. They were they were colonized right. by Europeans. And un- the, the fact is is that those who were colonized were given certain impressions about us hmm. as African Americans. Hmm. So you have colonized immigrants coming to America who have been given a certain picture by the colonizers about us before they even get here Right. Supposedly. so when they get off the boat when they get off the plane and they see us here who has been here for 400 years hmm. struggling struggling under the boot of a white America and then they run to white America and turn their backs on us And we're both Muslim. This is what we taste. Mm. We keep it under control. But it's there. And we saw it. We experienced it. And it's a silent disease. Mm. That was brought here by the colonized Muslims that immigrated here to America. And it's not like. They weren't approached because we said, Oh, Muslims, alhamdulillah, assalamu alaikum. That's not how you say assalamu alaikum. Can you read Quran? Do you have a job? I I literally had people asking me if I had a job. Wallahi. The impression that many of them have was that we were lazy. That we were gangsters. That we were thugs and fornicators, and this this
4: is this is just gets back to and that's how the, they looked the at the us. picture of America and, and the, the, the racialization of America for 450 years or more, where you take how you can take people and dehumanize them and make them chattel and make them slaves. The only way to do that is to dehumanize them. And for 450 years, that is still there. It's still there in some people's minds, whether they want to believe it or act upon it or not, right? So, like he says, when you, when I think about other places that that the Europeans have gone and colonized, they've influenced those, those, those places. But when they, with, with Africa, they didn't influence them, they just took people. They took them and brought them here. And a lot of those people were Muslim. They were Muslim. Mm -hmm. And so we were here as Muslims before anyone. Right at the start. Right. Mm -hmm. Africans were here as Muslims before anyone. And there are stories, and I I just started getting into this recently, of stories of, of Muslims that were slaves practicing in secret. And over the past three, four years, we started reading about this stuff. And mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. Well, everybody's it, seen this. Uh, it, yeah, many yep, people mm-hmm. saw the story of Roots. Yep, Roots. Mm-hmm. You
2: know, and they were Muslim, we were you know. And so, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, uh, Islam is not new to us. No. Okay. It's, it was taken from us.
4: Right.
5: By, by the way, you mentioned Roots. When I was studying in Mauritania, there was uh, one of our uh, classmates, uh, Sheikh Kimo. Allah Ta'ala, have mercy on him. He passed away. One of the most beautiful people I knew you never met him he was we met him in Mauritania you know uh, inshallah maybe if we have a chance we can talk about him Allah have mercy on him whoever hears this inshallah read the Fatiha for him uh, a beautiful brother he was Mandinka ethnically and he was from he was from the village of Kuntakinte. Hmm. and he said so many Americans used to come and vi- visit the village. Uh, and he said, as a child, the only explanation I could think of in my head was that Kunta Kinte must have been a great alim. He must have been a great sheikh who had knowledge of the Deen. This mm-hmm. is the only reason, like anyone, why would otherwise why would people come from so far to visit his village, you know? But like you know, some of these things are very full circle, mashallah. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Well, so it's very, um, it's very comforting to see um, now where Islam is and where it's going to go, inshallah, in America, because. Growing up, it was different. It was interesting to see um, the separation of the messages. or and then you start getting into the questions of who has the right eid here and there, and all the the, mm-hmm. the the community eids that we used to have kind of fell away. But for a time, we would have them. Everybody in the city would come to one place, and that's when you began to see. You began to see. Um, I began to have friends that were from different places around the world. And some of my lifelong friends still to this day, that I that I got to meet, um, and it's from those community aids that we used to have, and of course they've they begun to to fall away. Sheikh Musa,
5: mashallah, Sheikh Musa, Allah Taala, for whatever reason, uh, uh, in His hikmah, He gave the riasa of this ilm to us, Inshallah we commit inshallah uh, that from our sides and we invite every other not invite rather we join the other imams that are committed to it also that inshallah if we can do that if we can all get together and have a great uh, gathering for Eid maybe corona may not allow it for this Eid al adha but in the future mm-hmm. uh, according to the, the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu and the teaching of the book of Allah ta'ala if we can do that again we can unite all the different people um, uh, uh, you know uh, under one uh, cover uh, you know we're, we're, we yes. we 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 cast we cast our our our, 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 our turban into that uh, uh, into that inshallah vision.
2: That 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 was a beautiful time in in, in Islam in Cleveland, because prior to that, uh, coming together collectively for Eid, uh, there was this chasm between the immigrant Muslims and the African American community that was very very bitter. And. Uh, when we would visit the uh, uh, the immigrant masjids, you know, uh, we, weren't, we weren't made to feel welcome. Okay, we would, you know, people wouldn't even approach us. You know, uh, after giving salams, they would kind of break off into their own little huddles and mm-hmm. speak their own languages and we were like standing there and we got all three different languages, right, you know, right, and right. people right. are ignoring us and we're supposed to sit there in these conversations you know, which to me is an insult. Okay, when everybody speaks one common language and you sit around a table with Muslims to break bread, to share tea, and then the only one that can't understand it is the African American Muslim which by the
5: way is haram the prophet sallallahu forbade that if there's a group of people and one of them doesn't doesn't uh, you have a, a conversation that is secret that you exclude one of them from that conversation he forbade mm-hmm. people from doing that and the fuqaha comment that one, the way that's described in the hadith is if you like huddle off to the side mm-hmm. but but included in the ruling of that is speaking a language that that person doesn't speak
2: mm-hmm. And so many times when this would happen, you—I uh, I can just recall—and many African American Muslims say that they just get up and leave. Right. right. I'm not sitting here. I'm not. I'm not going to be insulted like this. I'm out of here.
4: There is a, a, and there's, any black person in this country, knows what it feels like to be made to feel unwelcome. You can walk into right. a room, you see the look, and you know it. Yeah. It's just what it is. You, you can walk it. into a room, you see mm-hmm. it, you know, and it's not just black people. It's people of any ethnicity that's not white. Okay, you walk into a room, you see it and it's like, okay, it's one of those kind of vibes. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you just know what you got to deal with. You embrace it, you deal with it and you move on. But to be made to feel that way in an Islamic community, it's like we're going to go back to our masjid. We're going to do it. We're going to grow our community. Right. The best Mm -hmm. way we can. And when they're ready to do as we want to do, then we'll try again. So
0: on that note, uh, this reminds me of a conversation that we had once before yes. uh, at, a, at a, fr- uh, mm-hmm. a mutual friends uh, home mm-hmm. in which uh, you shared some information with me that I had not ever heard before which was the story of how the Islamic Center of Cleveland yes. um, the conversation of where it was intended to be and how right. it came to be um, I, I was really hoping that you'd be willing to share uh, from your perspective and your uh, yeah. your background share with we'll us f- like a little bit of that information. Inshallah. Okay
2: well my knowledge uh, of that uh, the Islamic Center history is kind of like uh it is known and it's unknown uh, most people today don't know really the origins of how the Islamic Center started but prior to it being in the location where it is it was where Masjid Rasulullah is yes okay and uh, Obviously it outgrew itself, so there was a discussion at that point that they wanted to expand. And there was a discussion where, you know, maybe we should bring it closer to a central area where Muslims from the east side and west side of the river can, you know, collectively come together. What, what, there was,
0: was there a group of people who were discussing this? There was a this?
2: group of people, to my understanding, that were uh, of that camp, where we need to bring it closer, okay? And my understanding is that they, were, they began butting heads. Mm. Well, no, we don't want to move it too close to, you know, to the east side because, you know, yeah, obviously the feeling was is that the African Americans would overpopulate or integrate into the, the new masjid. And, you know, obviously we weren't welcome. Mm. Okay. And then there was the other group that said, well, you know, we should we should try to bring the Muslims together. Long story short, it ended up in Parma. Now, anybody that knows the history of Parma in Cleveland knows that Parma has been the hotbed of racism for the African-American community for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And when that mosque was built in Parma, that sent a message to the African American community because they knew without a doubt that Palmer was racist as a as a matter of fact Palmer could not even receive federal money because of their racist policies right
5: again again like people will feel like threatened or or like hurt or whatever <laughs> This is, some of this are You know, he's a person who wills good To Islam and to the Muslims, that much is not clear By like the podcast at this point You know, I I don't know What will clear your head to it So Mm -hmm. when he says it, we should take heed of it I myself am the imam in the masjid in Parma Mm -hmm. I myself, I walk To the masjid oftentimes. I don't feel Safe, Mm -hmm. you know, people will let their Dogs out and Mm -hmm. things like that, like I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. I feel it, I feel that Vibe, you know, and I'm not I, I don't you know I don't present like I'm white but I don't pre- mm-hmm. and I don't present like I'm black either but mm-hmm. even I myself feel what you're right. what you're saying and mm-hmm. there's been a lot of you know change since right. that from that time to now and I'm not saying we have to burn the masjid down and no. I'm not saying that like it's everyone's horrible and there are many people in the masjid if you ask them they'll be like yeah mashallah the parking is really good over here and like it's better than the parking in Rasulullah which is probably true but mm-hmm. and that's fine we're not saying you're a racist person because you like that masjid Just try to understand what other people feel, that they don't feel the same thing that you feel. Try to understand, like, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're coming from. Sympathize with it Mm -hmm. uh, in order for us to, like, heal the rifts, whether we want to acknowledge they exist or not. They exist. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to be able to move forward until we Mm -hmm. heal them.
2: If white people say that Parma is racist, (laughs) what do you think black people feel? Right. So we had to (laughs) we had we had to swallow that. That unspoken message, right, from a Muslim community when they built that mosque in Parma. apartment, mm. and we was like, "Whoa, yeah, okay, cool. cool, cool." And you know, we what's, understand
0: what, what's interesting and about so this. And
2: so we peeled back, man, because mm. we knew what that meant. Mm. We what's, felt it.
0: What's interesting about this is, uh, as as a uh, person who. Um, so, my my position is a little bit different. Um, I, I made my shahada when I was older than both of you brothers. Um, you know, kind of coming to that point where I was asking myself questions about Islam, I was already uh, 25. And uh, my family, my father, moved our family over to the west side because he worked at Ford. Mm-hmm. And so, I grew up on the west side, one of those pocket communities of African Americans on the west side. There are several I'm of not them. Not community. And so... Uh, w- when I got older and I started to kind of question uh, myself regarding faith and start to look into different things, um, the only mosque that I had any recollection of was the Islamic Center in Cleveland because we driven past it many times. My mother mm-hmm. used to work at Sears that was uh, in uh, Middleburg Heights, like right there on mm-hmm. uh, right. 130th. So we drove past it a lot of times. And so when it came to a point where I needed to know something about Islam, all I could think was, oh, yeah, there's that big building with the gold dome. Mm. That's a mosque, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to that, uh, Majid, uh immediately black people on the west side know the same thing. Parma is not an area you want to hang out in. Mm-hmm. It's not a place that you go. It's not a place you it's just you're not welcome there. Driving while black. Right. And so when I went there, um, I was on guard, you know, I was just like. I'm in unfamiliar territory or unwelcoming territory, Mm -hmm. but I have questions that I need answered. And so when I went there um, and I started going there regularly, non-surprisingly, no black people at all. Um, I was the only black person, I think, that went to that mosque for a really long time uh, until I would see other people. And it was usually people that were like passing by, you know, they were truck drivers that said, I just needed to go to a mosque so I could pray or something and you know and so it, it was very rare for me to see another black person mm-hmm. and then when I started to explore the city of Cleveland and really start to want to learn more about Islam I went to the east side and I started going to the other masjid. and then what, what, what wound up happening at that point is a lot of people kind of questioned me like why do you go to that masjid? why do you go to that mosque you know it was almost like you know, my black heart was in question. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I just I just straight up told it's like I grew up on the west side. Yeah. Yeah. Many people have had mm-hmm. the, And a lot of people, some people don't even have the conversation. They just look at me a certain type of way, like, yeah, you'd be over there. You know, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, there are some people who are a little bit more understanding and, you know, they, they do want to know more. But there's a certain attitude that uh, I have received even from my brothers and sisters in African American community mm-hmm. because they th- it's just a question mark like why because it was across the board understood like we aren't welcome there mm-hmm. and so over the years uh, when I started to become more familiar with the Muslim community on the east side and started to develop relationships with uh, you know the elders in our community and uh, subhanAllah you know it, it Making my Shahada was like a big moment in my life, right? But getting in touch with the African American community years after that, it was like another mind blowing experience. Because mm-hmm. when I remember clearly when I first went to First Cleveland Majjah, it was like a. I say it all the time to brothers uh, that I talk to, it, I felt like I had just came home. Even though I was a stranger mm-hmm. in that community, I felt more at home there the very first time I went than I did at ICC for years. And so that, listening to your story is very interesting for me because, you know, you have three generations of Muslims as Sheikh Musa uh, has opened up and talked about. And so, personally, I'm very curious to continue to hear more from all of you. I'm especially curious to hear uh, some of your feelings uh, in regards to the Muslim community and uh, how you have interacted with... The younger generation because talking about icc uh, i think the younger generation at that masjid as well as the other masjid, they don't they they this may not be a realistic thing for them they don't know this history and so yeah i'd just like to hear from uh, you yeah
1: awesome we, we're not gonna <laughs> let you off the hook man you weren't gonna get away i was trying to steer mm-hmm. towards you towards you you know this is this is awesome this is the grandson of sheikh muhammad and the nephew of kareem he's the son of his, your daughter and his Medina. sister in Medina. So Allah to Allah, bless you. He just, he'll be going off to school at the University of Miami, Ohio. Inshallah, so it's coming fall. Sisters who are watching the YouTube video, make sure you lower your gaze, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, he still gotta do his studies, inshallah, so.
6: So, I've been going to uh, Masjid Mutman, uh my whole life, because uh, that's where uh, my father was, grew up in that community. Uh, he uh, raised around those brothers and they helped him convert to Islam, so that's sort of the community that I've grown up in and had uh, Imam Mutawaf as my Imam, and he, he's almost like another grandfather to me, just uh, the, the amount of stories he's had. You know, I remember a lot of times, like every time after Juma, me and a, a bunch of the other younger brothers would just go up to his office and sit and just listen to the stories he would tell us with a lot of the other older brothers and just listen. And so a lot of these stories that Abiyah is saying, you know, I've heard some of them. Some of them I haven't heard, but I've been able to piece sort of things together. But um, growing up in that community, you know, it's like pretty much like 99% African-American Muslims, um, which is sort of comforting for me to just see all these other African-American Muslims that sort of helped me growing up um, a Muslim. And uh, some of the closest that I've felt to Islam was during my times at Itikaf, when I went up to the mosque for Itikaf. I went uh, three years ago and then two years ago. Obviously this year we couldn't, but ever since three years ago I'd been going up for Itikaf and just sitting around all those brothers who have been so impactful for Islam in Cleveland and just hearing their stories, it was just like awe, like I was in awe of hearing all these stories of how how important they really were for this community. Um, but one thing I remember we were talking about how they used to have um, community eats, or how the community used to be so vibrant and together. And my father would always tell me stories about how uh, the people of his generation, they would take them up to New York, to Philadelphia, to different Muslim communities around America, just learning with these other communities, getting to know other brothers, you know, connecting the Muslims of America. And obviously now we don't have that anymore. And um, it's kind of sad that we don't have that. But um, because of this rift that Abby and Uncle Kareem were talking about, obviously I wasn't a part of that, but hearing those stories and understanding why that rift was created. But I think now we're in a time more than ever where we're, it's important that we unite. And I think our mosque, we're sort of a masjid movement, we're sort of in the like passing of the torch phase from the older generation to my father's generation in the, the in the 40s and 50s, you know, sort of passing the leadership. And I think now would be the perfect time to, you know, address the rifts and address these uncomfortable conversations and move forward from there. You know, I think it's important to still address what happened and you know there's a sort of disrespect that was shown to the African American community, but I think if we if we can you know, as long as those can be addressed and they're not ignored and we can build from there, I think I think that would be important because I've always wanted to have a big community um, with uh, Because I I, I know um, some people from different communities and different masjids, but, you know, we always have our separate our separate Eids, our separate Eid feasts, and uh, I've always wondered why we can't have just one large one where everyone is there, and you know, you just see, you drive past a park, and you just see hundreds and hundreds of Muslims just around a tent or, or whatever that may be. Um, I've always thought that that might be nice, but so Hopefully awesome. What been
1: has cool. been the extent of your engagement and interaction with, because you're in a community which is predominantly African-American Muslims, mm-hmm. right? So what was the extent of your engagement with Muslims who are not African-American, whether they're Arabi, Palestinian, Syrian, um, Indian, Pakistani?
6: It hasn't been much, except for, for first grade, I went to al Um So that was like, during that time, it was like mostly Arab. Uh, mostly Arab teachers, and just like a few African-Americans. And I remember, you know, I don't remember exactly all that uh, of my time there, but I do remember some, it, I didn't really feel welcome at that school. Like, yeah. they would like, I was in the first grade, but they would like throw me to the second grade and say, oh, go to this classroom, or oh, go to this classroom for this class. And it was just like, well, why am I bouncing around? Why, why am I not staying with my classmates? I think at that time I was the only African-American in my homeroom and they would just put me in the uh, classroom with uh, two other African-Americans who might have been, I think they were some of the only ones there. And I was always sent to the principal's office for like the smallest things. It just made me, I just didn't really feel welcome. Hmm. And so that was in first grade, that was uh, my first interaction with non-African-American Muslims. But ever since then, I haven't really had much interaction, you know, because I go to a mainly African-American mosque, so I don't. I don't know any other non-African American Muslims that are my age. I know some, but I don't really have a, a connection with them. And um, I think like some of the stories that Abhi and Uncle Cream are telling is that's just it's the it's the result of some of these stories that they're telling of how these rifts are created or how how we were made unwelcome, and that's why I don't have any non-African-American Muslim friends is because of some of these stories that they're telling and you know that's that's I I will say
1: this too Um, I supervise open gym at ICC Mm. twice a week and that's where I know awesome from and when I first started going there this is now about eight years been in community nine years shortly after that started doing that it was predominantly Arabi that were coming to play and since then it's been a lot more diverse Um, I'm not saying that's because of me. This is what I've observed. Um, And I do try to make sure that everyone is treated the same and everyone has their same um, access to the court. So we have the the African-Americans from the east side who are coming. We got the Somalis from Masjid Rasulullah who come regularly. Um, uh, And it's it's pretty diverse, mashallah. There's been three times I've had to break up a fight because brothers put hands on each other. In those years and all three times it was arabian Mm african-american and i see it firsthand the tension that exists and um a part of it there could be a number of reasons why it could be because of the lack of integration that exists it could be because of the experiences that some of the kids and again just to be quite frank that even some of the arabic speaking kids have who have parents that have maybe liquor stores in black communities so their experiences with the black community are very limited to their experiences with their shops and then they project that on all african americans even their brothers and again this is something that i've witnessed firsthand in this interaction of youth this is now like third generation where you would hope that it wasn't so prevalent anymore but i've seen the whole referring to they're always like that i've heard those words these brothers are always like that. What do you mean with these brothers? Right? And the only three times I've had to break up a fight because of people putting hands was African American and Arabi, and, 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 and Arab brothers. So we, we, we do have to somehow like acknowledge that.
5: And, yeah, our Arab and whatever immigrant I, I brothers. I'm not saying, Sheikh, right, yeah. that it's the fault of the Arab brothers no, no, or the African-American and That's what I'm saying. Our I'm Ar- saying that's what it is. Our Arab, right? and, uh, Arab and immigrant brothers, they're going to be like, well, I don't own a liquor store and I don't say that to my kids. And I don't or like I never heard that from. my. I know majority of people are not going to be like that. But what we're asking you is not to like self-flagellate for someone else's sins. What we're just asking is like, can you just at least keep it in your heart that there's some, maybe some of your African-American brothers have gone through yes. these experiences from somebody else who was unscrupulous. And can you acknowledge that that, that it happened and try to, you know, maybe reach out and, and, and make it clear that you are welcome and we don't look at you that way in order mm-hmm. to, to reverse because that's what, always what happens. The people, there's a certain set of people who cause uh, mischief and they break things and they they're the ones that uh, you know we ask a lot to have mercy on them because you know there's not really much good that's going to come from them and then there are the blessed people who are the most beloved to Allah, who are the ones who take somebody else's mess and they clean it up, and take someone else's thing that's broken and they fix it. And Allah as a result, A, gives them the greatest share of His love, and B, then all the reward of the fix it, of being fixed for everybody, it all gathers up and then it's the uh, crown that, that sits on their head that, can you just like hear these experiences and be like, look, we want to be the ones who fix even though we're not the ones who caused the mess. Oh. And if you are causing a mess and you want to fix it, that's ala nur and nur.
2: If, if I could just just address the whole issue of the uh, uh, the, the stores that are owned by Muslims in the African American community, who openly sell liquor, pork, alcohol, gambling, lottery tickets, in some places, uh, pornography under the table, in the black community. And I go into these stores, and they have Quran, Arabic all over, signs. You hear the Adhan going off in the stores. On their phones. On their phones. And it it makes you want to throw up. Uh, And the way that they look at the people in the community is even worse. And Sheikh Boosa kind of you know touched on it a little bit. Because when you're selling alcohol to African Americans and they come in drunk and they come in under the influence of drugs, people get maybe may get the perception that, quote unquote, all of African Americans are like this. And so they take these stories home. And when you hear them say words like Abed. I
4: told you that story. Okay?
2: Behind the counter. Abed. Is the N-word. And everybody knows it. And when you hear them say "abit" in these stores and they think nobody knows what they're talking about. You know. If those clients in that store knew what they were calling them. They would get treated the same way a white person would get treated by calling that person an N-word. Right. Because that's where it comes from.
1: I have a, a story and so that one other
2: point this whole issue of racial prejudice that's caused by the colonists by that's caused by white America has put this wedge between us as Muslims I grew up as you know it an African-American community okay being involved in a lot of African-American uh, 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 focused issues As far as Islam is is concerned. But that's not Islam. That's not Islam. For us to have an African American Muslim silo over here, you know, and an Arab silo over here, you know, and a Pakistani silo over here. And I became, when I made Hajj, I had an epiphany at that point. So I'm getting ready to go back to America. I'm getting ready to go back to an African American mosque where it's just African American people, where I break bread with African American Muslims. This ain't right. I'm just leaving Hajj with all these different rainbows and I'm seeing the beauty of Islam. And I had to make a choice, a tough choice where I had to decide if I was going to continue to spend out the last whatever years of my life in a segregated community Um. or to try to reach out and to find a mosque that at least had some semblance of diversity. And it was a tough choice for me. It was a tough choice, but I I knew in my heart that that's what Islam is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be bitter African-American Muslims huddled together because the Arabs don't like them. It's not supposed to be an African-American masjid, okay, that feels comfortable because they don't like us over there. We need to find that sweet spot in the Muslim community. And so I had to really think about it, and I decided that I was just going to, Test the waters and find a community that wasn't 100% African American. And I decided, and I, this isn't the plug for any particular community, okay?
5: Please go ahead, plug away.
2: Okay,
1: <laughs> but I'm a member of MACE. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll put the plug for you. Sheikh Mohammed has been a board member, a trustee at MACE for a number of years now, and is whenever whatever involvement I've had had a lot to do with his involvement as well
5: what what is mace for our uh, ohio challenged viewers
1: muslim association of cleveland east and we have uh, there is a a a pretty diverse group of leadership there imani at some point was also there so alhamdulillah yes and so i first i just started to attend uh mace
2: It was even before the new mosque was built when it was a small building Mm. and i never once felt the type of uncomfortableness that I felt when I would go to other mosques that weren't African American. Not to say that it's perfect, but at least I didn't—it it didn't hit me in the face. Okay, so I decided that I was going to give it a try, and, and this was almost eight years ago, and I began to do things and. I was nominated by members of MACE to be part of the board and the board voted me to be the chairman of the board which I was for three years the board of trustees and now my term expired and I'm just on the board right now but I say that because despite all that it's still not perfect nothing is perfect this is the dunya Mm -hmm. you know so if we're looking for a utopia we ain't gonna find it here. Facts. Okay, and that's what I keep in my mind all the time. There's no utopia on this earth. Okay, and it's that way for a reason because people with, that are sitting in this circle, people that are watching this podcast, they need to understand that it's not gonna change because we make dua. It's not gonna change because we 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 stay in our own particular you know uh, communities. We have to actively do the work. It's not going to come down from the sky. People are going to actually have to do the work and struggle to make this thing happen where Muslims can, 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 can be together as one. I mean,
5: you know, this is Sheikh Amin, uh, the, the patron of Dar al-Qasim at uh, which, mashallah, uh, Sheikh Musa teaches currently and I've also <laughs> taught in the past and uh, looked to for, for a lot of guidance. Uh, in matters of Ilm, he's very fond of mentioning this, that in Hajj, one of the, the, one of the important parts of Hajj, it's a rukan for everyone, but the Hanafis, I, I get that, uh, is the sa'i, going back and forth between mm-hmm. Safa and Marwa. And uh, sa'i means to strive. And it's it was a Mubarak act that Hajar, the mother of Sayyidina Ismail, ran back and forth looking for the water. And Allah loved it so much that every believer has to do this for their Hajj and Umrah to be complete until the Day of Judgment. And he's very fond of mentioning this, that w- running back and forth between the the, the uh, two mountains doesn't create water. Allah gave the water with, you know, in, in a completely miraculous way that was disconnected to any, any effort, but he still want to see you hustle. He doesn't want to sit. You see, you sit down and wait for it to come to you. Mm. Even if, even if all it is is you, you do something, even though you know that it's not gonna, it, yes. it's not gonna come in, come with any result. Literally, the word "sai." If we were to have like modern urban translation, uh, hustle. hustle. Right. You got to hustle. Right. You got to hustle to make it happen. You put your net in the water. The net doesn't create the fish, you know. But if you're netting in the water, don't blame Allah Taala if you didn't catch nothing. You know, like, mashallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward uh, 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 our 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 Mubarak elder, mashallah, uh, and all those who are hustling, whether they're known, whether the podcast mentions you or doesn't mention you, uh, Allah knows who you are, and those are the those are the those are the people who, because of them, Allah's mercy and barakah comes down on on the entire jamaat, mashallah.
1: We definitely appreciate the time of the family, and this seems like it's gonna have to continue to like a part two. and mashallah (laughs) alhamdulillah and then uh, there's enough of the family I think that might be able to be involved to have a part two as well inshallah I don't think we're lacking in participants (laughs) so perhaps we can get back to this in the near future and we're grateful for your time I wanted to hear more out of awesome and we're working towards that but uh, you know maybe we'll give each of you a last word if if, if you all don't mind inshallah
6: Um, well I guess I'll just reiterate from what I said before how you know as I've grown up in the same you know mainly African American community I've always wondered like what it would be like if we were all united like a, a, in one community or one big eater you know every every 3 months have one big Cleveland Muslim community you know iftar or dinner and you know obviously like a B said you know there's nothing nothing's going to be perfect you know, there's always going to be differences. There's always going to be you know people who don't like each other. But if we can come together as a mass, you know, I- ignore the sort of smaller you know side, side um, beefs or whatever you want to call them, and and move past, you know, the days of old, and move forward. You know, with uh, with new leadership. You know, uh, new ideas, and uh, sort of use those and come together as one. Um, I think that would that could also, you know, bring about change in America and the Muslim communities of America. You know, Cleveland was once one of the big, um, big uh, was in the forefront of the Muslim community in America. We can do that once again in uniting the Muslims of America and they could start with Cleveland. We just have to, you know, have these conversations, you know, make it aware of the past, but also, you know, move forward with new leadership and, and, and hopefully that could create something special in the future.
1: I mean.
4: I guess the the, the only thing I, I have left to say for now because I, I definitely want to be a part of part two because there's a lot more that needs to be said but in any organization like if you're talking about masjids it's always going to be a microcosm of the society the society in which it resides right so whatever like we're in America it's got its own inherent problems that were built upon what we all know it was built upon slavery and the dichotomy of liberty versus slavery is all built upon that. So if you have a, a, a community of Muslims that is, is, is inside of that, it's going to take on its root, its flavor, its essence, right? But we have the answer. <laughs> we, we, have, we have Islam, right? So if we can do what we need to do inside of our own communities, we can influence America. Um, because there is no other answer the answer is Islam and that's the beauty of it that's the beauty of Islam is that it's the answer for everything so we can we can root out everything that America was built on and encapsulate this country in Islam it can happen and inshallah will
2: yes I just like to end with this uh, comment that there's things called conscious and unconscious Discrimination, and no one owns that. No race owns that. No particular nationality owns that. And until we recognize as a umma that there are conscious racism that exists within us, and unconscious racism that, this, that that exists within us, we're gonna we're not gonna make any progress. Okay, because. All of us have our own unconscious and conscious discrimination. But what we need to do is that we need to work together despite that and recognize that. And that's what the Prophet peace be upon him said in his last sermon. Okay, for someone to look at me and say, I don't see you as a black person, I automatically think that they're racist. because that's not what Allah said. Mm. Allah said he created us what? In different right. colors that we would know each other. Right. So don't look at me and say, when I look at you, brother, I don't see you as a black Muslim, a black American muscle. I just see you as Muslim, okay? So we need to understand that, that we need to accept, you know, the rainbow of color that we have as Muslims, and we need to, accept the good that we have to ask that we that we have to add to this community and we need to build upon that and that the problem is in the leadership in the in the Muslim community that exists and as Asim said you know sooner or later the passing of the torch is going to happen to young men when he's 30 years old when he's 25 years old his generation what are they learning from us where will Islam be when he's at the point in a community where he may have to take on a position of the board? What signals are they getting from us, the elders? And I would like to finally say that these type of things that Sheikh Musa, Tristan, and the other brothers that are here, this podcast I think is, 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 is quite, quite special. Because we're taking advantage of this medium in order to address as the Sheikh said some very difficult, difficult discussions. Okay, and only you can only heal by breaking the scab. Oh. And there's a lot of scabs going around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we got to pull that scab off. We got to let the fresh air get to it, and inshallah we'll all learn from it. I mean, I mean, Assalamualaikum.
0: I just wanted to do uh, some closer remarks. Um, I just want to say thank you to uh, the Cleveland Public Library uh, as we are using the equipment from uh, that institution to record this information. And uh, inshallah, in the future, there will be some opportunities for us to do some work with uh, the public library in Cleveland. So
5: I just wanted to kind of end on that note before we uh, close with a dot inshallah. اللهم صلِّ وسلِّم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. اللهم أعيننا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك. اللهم يمُقَلِّبَ القلوبِ ثَبِّت قلوبنا على دينك. اللهم يمُصَرِّفَ القلوبِ صَرِّف قلوبنا على طاعتك. اللهم إنا نسألك أفعل الخيرات وترك المنكرات وحب المساكين. وأن تغفر لنا وترحمنا وإذا أردت بعد كفتنا إليك غير مفتونين اللهم إِنَّ نسألك حبك وحب من يحبك وحب العمل يقربنا إلى حبك اللهم اجعل حبك أحب إلينا من الماء البارد يا الله Your favor and your grace, your karam brought us on this mubarak hour of this mubarak day together. This is the mubarak day of Friday. And these are the hours before the Mubarak Day of Friday are going to close. Ya Allah, we seek the the, the moment of your uh, answering our prayers that you should forgive us and forgive the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that you should rectify our state and rectify the state of the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in this world and the hereafter. Ya Allah, you're the one who gathered the best of every qawm and every tribe and every nation under La Ilaha Illallah. Starting with Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his Mubarak companions. خلاصة العرب الأرباء وخير الخلائق بعد الأنبياء عليهم الصلاة والسلام رضي الله عنهم And the best of the Persians and the best of the Turks and the best of the Abyssinians and the best of all of the people in every direction ya Allah black white or whatever color they may be the best of the people who speak every one of the tongues that you uh, graced uh, uh, your creation with the best of the people from your creation you gathered them under the flag of la ilaha illallah ya Allah unite their hearts and end their disputes with one another ya Allah ya Allah synchronize their hearts and end their disputes with one another and make amongst them those who when they speak the people will listen and when they command the people will obey and when they prohibit the people will desist. Ya Allah, increase their numbers and strengthen them and quicken them in their minds and in their hearts and in their spirits, in their speech and in their actions Ya Allah, increase their ranks and make us the first ones to serve them and make us the first ones that are under their flag and in their camp and make us the first ones who who love them in our hearts and the ones who support them in our deed and in our speech and make us into them. Ya Allah, and protect us from ever being the ones who oppose them. And Ya Allah, whoever the mischief makers are from your creation, give relief to the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu الله عليه وسلم, from their mischief. Ya Allah weaken them and confound their plots and schemes and make their 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 plots and schemes their own destruction between each other make their them them fight with one another and give relief to your creation and relief to the ummah ya Allah ya Allah and protect us from ever being the ones who love them or speak in their favor or serve them or do uh, uh, anything in their in their service or in their support whether it's inward or outward hidden or uh, secret or or public ya Allah and protect us from ever being amongst them ya Allah whatever the the noble plans and the noble wishes and desires and, and, and intentions the Prophet Sallallahu had for the betterment of this Creation and this mankind and for the Betterment of this creation Ya Allah Bless us and honor us by being the ones who uh, uh, Are the ones in our tongues And in our limbs and in our hearts who carry this project Forward and keep it alive Ya Allah uh, Even despite the plots And the schemes uh, of, of those people Who don't know you or your Rasul Sallallahu and even if their plots And schemes were so magnificent And so great that they would make mountains rent asunder Wa Sallallahu صلى وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحان ربي كرب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم ربنا تقبل منا واغتنم لنا بالحسن ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى به وارفع بأي دين راية الإسلام بركة الفاتحة.